see if that doesn't perfect okay so the youtube live is now started we're not going to record just yet but uh, we just wanted to ensure that it was actually recording before we start this podcast so we had a little bit of a mix-up on the uh weekend where i personally thought i did press record and it was recording fortunately could not capture the podcast it wouldn't it was a really good one a lot of good conversation that were uh being thrown around but fortunately uh that was my bad on on that one so uh had a good laugh for ourselves and we're back at it on the monday morning so we get a good podcast and we're going to be going over a lot of the stuff that we covered in the one that we didn't record except for the gold and silver gold and silver ratio analysis that we've already posted on our youtube so good laugh but uh little unfortunate, but that's why we're coming at you on the early Monday morning. All right, so I'll get the recorder going. Um, and let's get Wait, started. Wait, you did it record? It, it's currently recording right now, but on the weekend, it did not record. So, like... Uh, I'm just seeing a 48-minute youtube video oh never mind that that must be like your gold and silver review but just um because there's an unlisted video on our channel that's 48 minutes long okay let's i just want to sure that that, that's not it that that makes sense okay so let's go to performante channel videos because if you go to channel videos on the main page it wouldn't allow you to see it yeah Oh, right here, 40. Yeah, let's look at this one. Okay. No, I think this is the time that you were streaming. Um... random I don't hear any voices yeah so this the, the 48 minute video that is unlisted is your crypto and global ma macro update that you must have um, chopped down into a shorter video that is so odd because yeah, it's like 40 minutes. The other one's three minutes, which was all done yesterday. That's super odd. It's unlisted, but it doesn't actually have a voice. So that's like the confusing part of it all is the fact that it currently, I can't hear anything. I can hear or I can see the charts moving and me taking action, but um, very odd. So I think it would still make sense to do the podcast today just because that is not really any content that someone can watch and i'll probably delete those a little bit later because they're unlisted and no one's seen them anyways. yeah it's not like it matters it's just i saw that 48 minute video and I, I was wondering if it somehow like maybe youtube fucked up and it found the stream somehow but nah that's uh that's something completely different yeah it just has the performance podcasting so yeah we'll, we'll delete that in a little bit after yeah time. but the Current one is live, so then we're going to get the recording. And then, um, 
There's already someone watching it. It might be you. I don't think it's Yeah, you. I think it's me. And then we'll just open up the gold and silver chart. So we have something nice to look at. Okay, cool. Okay. this sweet all right and it's number 11 hey traders welcome to another performante podcast this is going to be episode 12 and this is going to be a review for september 2020 we've already talked about the gold and silver analysis as well as looking at the gold and silver ratio had a little bit of a mix up uh, i take full responsibility of that in terms of just not pressing the record button when we had our podcast for this weekend so this is a little bit uh, of a of a delayed podcast and we're just going to cover what we were unable to cover within the global macro update and crypto market update that we were able to post on the sunday night so uh yeah, I take responsibility on that one, but we're coming at you bright and early on the Monday morning to get you a nice uh, Performante podcast for the 12th episode of this series. So uh, I'll hand it over to Nathan. Hey everyone, happy to be here with the 12th episode. Just a review of some of the big finance news for September 2020. It's been a monumental month. There's been a lot of big things going on and we just wanted to discuss the most important items. Just kind of elaborate on our market perception. And of course, just like Keith said, this is our second time doing this podcast because the first time YouTube was acting up, the stream wasn't working, but we didn't realize until we were 45 minutes deep into the conversation. So we're back here again. Um, and we're just going to start off with a little bit of BTC chatter because yesterday was actually a very significant milestone for the mother crypto in that um, 18 and a half million Bitcoin are now in circulation. This leaves two and a half million more to be minted, and that adds up to the 21 million hard cap total, which is great to see because um, it's just increasing the liquidity, the volume, but it is gonna happen at a decreasing rate because of these halvings. So every four years, the miners get half of their reward, and this is effectively compensated by an increase in price. So that's one of the major driving, fa driving factors behind the market is the ebb and flow and the deflationary pressure on cryptocurrency. And so I took a little dive deeper and I found some estimates for when all 21 million Bitcoin will be in circulation. And experts say it'll be in 2140 which is 120 years from now, which is crazy. I mean, I don't think I'll be alive then unless our brains are uploaded into computer chips and we can live forever. But it's interesting to see that we won't see Bitcoin come to true fruition, even within our lifetime. Yeah, kind of puts it into perspective of how long of an investment this is in terms of the potential opportunities when there is none left to be minted and there's only less than 21 million with you know, when people say 21 million, there's coins that are lost forever. There's coins that are on hard drives that uh, are in massive garbage piles and they'll never be able to be used. So there's actually going to be less than 21 million. So that kind of idea of accumulation of a finite asset, I think, is uh, really important when you are looking at it because 
even if you're looking at gold and silver, like people have been kind of arguing me, arguing this discussion is gold can be taken from asteroids or something, whereas BTC, you can't do any of that, right? There's no asteroid that has BTC is 21, less than 21 million that will ever be created. So in terms of looking at it just as a fixed supply asset, I'd say BTC is more stable long term as long as humans are using computers, the internet, because uh, yeah, it's pretty unbelievable that the asset of the digital age um, is is really unreplicate, unreplicatable, um, kind of unlike gold and silver, where you can look at asteroids and you can look at minerals, you know, in other parts of the universe. So very, very interesting. And uh, that, that number is never going to change. So really, really puts it into perspective in my point of view. Yeah, and there's even some experts that argue that between three and five million of Bitcoin is totally unrecoverable. It hasn't been moved in, I think, 10 years is their requirement. And that just further represents just how small and scarce this asset truly is. In fact, it's so scarce that uh, it encourages people to do some pretty nefarious things to get their piece of the pie. On Friday, I believe, there was um, KuCoin was hacked, which is one of the largest exchanges. Although it's not something that I used frequently, I have distinct memories of signing up for them in, I think, 2016 or 2017, so I could get in on Polymath just before it was listed on Binance, needed to get that on that sweet token fungibility. Um, but they got hacked. $150 million in total was taken from the exchange in a mixture of USDT, uh, 10,000 Bitcoin, and the rest was uh, Ethereum and ERC-20 tokens. Uh, the market was quick to react in that all the exchanges started blacklisting these wallets where the funds went to, so they couldn't exchange them for fiat. But the decentralized exchanges don't really have that function just because they're smart contracts that link a buyer to a seller. And so they have been using Uniswap to dump their Ethereum and ERC-20 tokens onto the market, which is an interesting application of decentralized exchanges. That's not something necessarily that I thought about as an application for them. But when you have these exchanges that aren't really controlled by one central entity that can say, okay, blacklist this address, we're not doing business with them, it opens a lot of doors to potentially criminals to launder that money. Because that's just an outlet for them to put into Monero, do a Monero to Monero transaction, and then you will never see those funds again. And so it's just an interesting application of how decentralized exchanges can be used and might continue to be used in the future. I don't know if there's something that can be done from like the Uniswap point of view to prevent these kinds of transactions. But in essence, they're facilitating that money laundering, which is definitely not a good thing. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, a, a negative uh, a negative way to approach the Uniswap kind of infrastructure that has taken place. So, uh, yeah, really interesting post. And just a quick little reminder for people who are investing in crypto. The best place to store your funds is a hardware wallet or somewhere where you have the keys and no one else has the seed keys to your funds. Because uh, if you're putting them on an exchange, they get hacked. Uh, funds get stolen and that's not a good situation for anyone. So quick little reminder if you haven't, even if it's a $100 investment and the ledger is $100, that $100 investment could appreciate pretty substantially. So 
having that initial investment of safety is I think more important than the actual investment in assets. So uh, yeah, really good, uh, really good discussion. And I think that's a topic that could never be talked about too much, especially because as more people get into crypto, uh, it's, it's something that could be easily missed as an investor is just by skipping over that step and just going right into an exchange or another platform to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. Yeah, just to tack on, I also think we're entering uh, the point in the market cycle where it's almost more profitable to hold long term and to have those longer term positions. Like, I think without a doubt, we are in a bullish trend bouncing off of those March lows. And I think that the momentum is going to keep going. And so, at least personally, I've definitely taken most of my crypto investment, 80%, put it on my ledger, and I manage a smaller proportion just because there is that long-term value game we're playing. We're playing a game of accumulation, and having a ledger just allows you to be your own bank, store your funds as you buy them, and dollar cost average into those large caps. Specifically, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the two that... I have no problem dollar cost averaging into. I don't even think twice about those two. It's more so the smaller coins that you really got to think twice about your risk management principles and if this is the, in your best interest of your account. Yeah, definitely. Really good advice on that one. So I think the uh, next topic of discussion is going to be a little bit more of the corporate side where we're going to be talking about some news involving uh, public companies, more specifically, Nikola, which is a EV company, kind of similar to, it's like a, a worse, uglier brother of Tesla to some degree. Um, they're both working on EV vehicles or electric vehicles, but uh, Nikola doesn't have an actual working product. They've had some uh, sleazy, not so great news that have come out with their uh, recording of sales that they actually haven't sold vehicles. So, um, you know, already we've been talking about it being a somewhat sketchy company to invest in. They had a huge IPO, ran up a crap ton, and uh, it's been really falling ever since. So even in terms of the actual team, the CEO, Trevor Milton, has resigned from being CEO. He had to for forfeit $166 million worth of stock. And uh, there's even some news discussing the CEO, Trevor, actually not creating their flagship truck but actually outsourcing it to a third party. And that was written that he actually created an idea and, and kind of spawned it in his basement. So even the creation of the company itself has been act, uh, has been accused of potentially not coming where it initially came from. Um, that's that's like Trevor's mind, basically. So some pretty crazy stuff. And, and he's in some really hot water um, in, in terms of deferred revenue, forfeiting stock, as well as not even creating the flagship truck and just you know outsourcing it to a third party. So um, yeah, we've been talking about it for a while. Uh, Nathan has a lot to discuss as well about it. So um, yeah, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, we've been shitting on Nikola for a couple, I mean, it feels like months now, but uh, this has definitely been a company that we've been avoiding like the plague and we're definitely seeing kind of how they conduct their business come to light. I think their stock's down 77% from uh, all-time highs, which is incredible. Um, and they're also engaged in a lawsuit with Tesla. And it's these Tesla lawyers and investigators that have found a car designer in Croatia 
who this individual supplied the flagship model truck designs to Trevor, despite him claiming that they were it was a completely organic creation in his basement. And so the problem with that is uh, he claimed to have created them, and that was used in previous lawsuits as part of the reason why Nikola created their own intellectual property. So if it is true that they didn't design their own vehicles, they are going to find themselves in pretty hot water very soon because that means you were lying in a court of law and you just hoped you didn't get caught. And yes, he's already resigned as CEO. Yes, he's had to forfeit $166 million in stock, but that is a criminal charge. So things aren't looking too good for Trevor Milton. Things aren't looking too good for Nikola. I hate to say that we called this uh, shitty company demise, but we kind of did. I don't know. There's It felt like rat poison. There's too many aggressive and greedy electric vehicle companies in the space whose, ev- whose valuation has far exceeded what the company is actually worth and capable of producing. It's just hype. It's marketing. And trying to cash in on that EV craze only works for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you got a working product and and customers that actually love what you're making, the marketing will only last for so long. Because <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, unless there's substance, it's really hard to actually continue providing a vision and dream for investors if you're producing nothing. I think at this point with global investors seeing all the difficulties with which we talk about with like uber lyft even WeWork, which wasn't even a public company but there's a lot of investors who actually partake in WeWork, which if people who don't know is basically like a kind of airbnb but for corporate real estate where they rent out or buy massive buildings and then it's kind of like a sharing work uh, situation which did work pretty well but uh, they just couldn't make any profit. And then when they were about to go and do an IPO, the discussion that this company is kind of a zombie company, which we'll also talk about a little bit later, they could barely pay off their interest, let alone the principal. And the only thing that's able to sustain their business is just raising capital upon raising capital, similar to Uber, Lyft. And uh, I think investors are really finally understanding that a company that is unable to profit is probably not a good investment. Uh, we have seen companies that have grown from that stage into a massive massive behemoth of a corporation like Amazon. They didn't profit for a very long time just because they reinvested every dollar back into the business and that's how you create these massive conglomerates. But at a certain point, there has to be an end game where you're profitable, giving back those profits to the shareholders that gave confidence at an earlier point in time. And I think for a lot of these companies, they're just is not that endpoint where they can say, yes, we are a profitable company and we're able to start generating revenue for the investors and have that share price appreciation. So the first discussion kind of on this topic is actually going to be on Uber because we all know that there was a huge hype on Uber as, as well as Lyft, but that's like a little bit of a secondary company. Uber is the main one. And that was a huge talk in, in the finance game for a while. But we do see the kind of shift in the industry where companies like Tesla now have autonomous driving and there's talk of them actually being able to uh, talk or drive without an individual in the vehicle. So let's say you are working shift work at like railroads, hospitals, whatever the case may be, and you're working for 10, 12 hours, you could send out your Tesla to 
basically become a taxi without you being there. And then when it comes back to you, you made the amount of money that would cost to pay for, I would say gas, but it's not obviously gas, insurance, whatever the case may be. And uh, that's that next step of, I think, self-driving vehicles that are able to transport individuals from one place to another. And uh, Uber's kind of on a slow death. Yeah, that's kind of the way it feels. They had the golden opportunity in the ride-sharing moment to develop their autonomous vehicles. They do have an autonomous vehicles division, but ultimately, the way I see it is only so many people in the world need rides. Ride-sharing has a tangible demand. There's only so many people that need to go from point A to point B. And if we do have these autonomous electric vehicles taking people from point A to point B, like the one that Tesla's making, the one that Google's making, the one that Amazon's making, they're all going to tap into that market cap or market share and be able to do it cheaper because they don't need a driver. All they need is a vehicle. And so that means they'll have a cheaper price, they'll be stealing business away from Uber. And if Uber has already never turned a profitable quarter and all they're doing is basically taking investors' money to give people cheap rides effectively... There's no end in sight because their market share is only going to become smaller as the years go on. The other parts of their business, like Uber Eats, okay, that's that's not... It's a delivery service. That's not a tangible like contributing factor to their business because they don't make money on that either. They had a very small window of time to develop their autonomous vehicles, and unless they kick it into overdrive, so to speak, and become a larger... Uh, contributor to that industry I think we are going to start to see the slow death of these ride sharing companies and I mean even Warren Buffett has said it himself that the transportation business is not something you want to be involved in because there is so many innovations and there is so many different ways to get people from point A to point B that what seems hot five years ago in modern schema it's really not going to fit the bill. Uber used to be a very innovative company, but now they were getting cars that can drive themselves and drive others from point A to point B. There's just not really room for them in the grand scheme of things. That's just my opinion. We're going to supply uh, a link to a Bloomberg article just, uh, just to provide some more insight. All the things that we've been talking about, we'll supply links to in the description. If you do want to read more, fact check us, whatever it may be. Um, we encourage you to look through it because informed investing is smart investing. And uh, we're putting Uber on our hit list of companies just like Nikola to avoid like the plague. Just because we do not fundamentally believe in them. And uh, that transitions us nicely into our next topic here. Just talking about zombie companies. So we have talked about these in the past. These are companies that do not have a profit or do not have a profitable business model and ultimately um, the problem at hand is they are borrowing money to pay on interest they are not generating profit and they have increased massively since 2008 uh, the Bloomberg total company index just a index of basically mirrors the S&P uh, but it's Boom Bloomberg's select picks 18% of them are zombie companies, which is incredible because in 2007, it was 5%. Wow, yeah, that's unbelievable. 
And so I think that just kind of paints the picture of corporate greed, people trying to get in on that bull market that's been happening in the last 10, 12 years since the housing collapse. And I think that the market has really gotten out of hand with these IPOs and trying to determine value for companies that don't really have much value. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also think that as long as the interest rates are staying low and these zombie companies are able to pay back the interest with a very low rate, they're not really going to be stopping. It's just going to increase the amount of zombie companies in our economy just because if companies have very uh, have a way to get really cheap money or almost free money at this point, that's really going to just promote the continuation of borrowing money to just keep a company that's a bit barely able to survive moving forward and this is going to be a big big shift i think if the federal reserve and other uh, central banks do start to kind of change the tide and actually raise rates because right now i don't think they have the option to raise rates because they want the stock market to go up it's a very uncertain time and they don't want a massive market sell-off but I think if we do come a point where there comes a crossroads between the central bank having to raise rates because there's too much inflation, the dollar is weakening too aggressively, and that's one option, and then the market will continue going up, and then gold and silver crypto will all go up, go up just because the dollar is weakening so much, that's one option. And then the another option is if the central banks say, okay, there's a lot of inflation, we're going to do what we did last time, which is aggressively raise interest rates or federal funds rates for the United States. That's going to make it more challenging for businesses to borrow money. And, you know, like Nathan said, these companies are on the verge of being unable to actually operate. But the only way that they're able to actually continue their operations is by investors paying and investing in the company. You know, basically, for example, Uber, investors are paying for cheap rides uh, for other people. So we're going to get to that stage where there's a crossroads. If they raise rates, uh, you know, a large percentage of the S&P is a zombie or are zombie companies. So if they do raise rates and it costs more to borrow, a large percentage of the market as a whole will be unable to survive or they're going to be squeezed way more than they are right now. And that's going to be creating a lot of fear, uncertainty, worry in the market because all these companies are unable to pay their employees, pay their debts and uh, continue operations. So that's going to be a major pivotal zone, I think, for the economy. But until we get to that point where they're going to start actually raising rates, I think this trend will continue where companies are able to borrow cheap money and continue their barely, not even profitable, barely running operation. So um, we're going to see a big change sooner or later. But those are the two crossroads that we see. And unless the central banks are able to have that discussion and raise rates to try to stop inflation, it's just going to continue going in terms of the zombie companies increasing. So as of right now, I don't see anything stopping with it, but that would be the two endpoints that we would see is either raising rates or lower or keeping them low. And then we'll have to see some sort of reaction from that action taken from the central banks. So yeah, right. Debt is just too cheap for these companies to turn up and the federal reserve is stuck between a rock and a hard place. If they raise rates, the market will panic, companies will go bankrupt, unemployment will rise. And if they keep in, or if they keep interest rates low like they currently are, 
uh, inflation is going to get out of hand and the monetary supply is going to spiral out of control. And so there's not really a clear answer or path. I think there's just two realities and they're going to have to pick eventually between them. But either way, I think we have a really good game plan as to what we're going to do because let's say they do start raising interest rates quite substantially. I basically think everything is going to go down except for safe haven currencies like uh, US dollar, Japanese yen because we saw back in, let's say for example, in the late 70s, early 80s when there was a transition from very low rates to then very high rates of interest rates. We saw gold top, we saw silver top, and I think at this point, we are seeing a pretty positive correlation between basically anti-fiat, so gold and silver, along with the same basket of crypto, so Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all that kind of um, cryptosphere assets. So that's going to be a very, very important crossroads that we have to be able to identify and then make our decisions based on what the central banks are doing, what the interest rates are doing, and what the overall market is doing. So... We're going to keep everyone updated on that. But as of right now, uh, for at least me, uh, I'm expecting this to continue where rates are low, dollar weakens. I think SPX and overall risk on assets will be moving up as well as gold, silver and Bitcoin because rates are low, dollars weakening, which means that gold, silver and Bitcoin should be continuing and pushing forward. So uh, that's going to be my overall bias for this upcoming week and Think at what it's going to be looking like for this winter if something happens for example if bitcoin drops below the 10k support that we're holding right now we're currently making lower highs so we're forming some level of a descending triangle if it does break to the downside we could see a little bit of a sell-off a little bit of confidence lost from the bulls for btc but the overall larger perspective i think um, that we have here at performante is we are still in a bullish trend this is a correction a pullback to validate previous levels of resistances and we're going to be continuing the overall momentum so um yeah we're going to keep a lookout for that but that is a larger perspective yeah there's a lot of mechanisms in play right now with the current market and it's pretty hard to try and contextualize all of them into one comprehensive output we do our best but ultimately there are so many different factors going on in modern economics that uh, realistically anything could happen we don't know what the future holds 2020 has been one crazy year and uh, god knows what the future has in store but we just wanted to transition into an interesting analysis from charles schwab um this was uh, really profound. They had a lot of interesting key points, and I just wanted to discuss some of them. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about was that if you excluded the big five, the five largest stocks in the S&P, if you excluded them, specifically being Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Google slash Alphabet, because they have multi-class stocks, um, these five stocks are up nearly 29% on the year. And if you took the remaining 495 stocks, they would be down 3.4%. And I, this speaks this speaks miles for what we've been talking about with this tech over-evaluation, the disconnect between price and evaluation. The fact that the five largest cap stocks are skewing the S&P index by almost 32% is ridiculous. They are up 29% and the rest of the index is down 3.4. Like that is such a statistical skew. 
that it's impossible to ignore just how overvalued these companies are within the context of everyone's just flocking to them because it's a herd mindset. They're going up, there's novice investors in the space, there's more money than ever, and these companies have never been valued as high as they are now. Yeah, and this even takes you back to the dot-com boom. We are at a point that's even more aggressive than back then. So if you're comparing historic events that have occurred and looking at the current market environment, it is an extreme outlier, let's say. Um, and usually in kind of life, but also especially markets, if there is one extreme, it's usually going to move to the other extreme. Um, and, and right now, like Nathan said, there's a massive overvaluation in stocks. And there was a massive undervaluation in things like gold, silver, because they had a bear market for the past six-ish years. I think there's going to be a massive shift where, like we said, if, if, it, if the pendulum swings one way, it usually swings the other way. So we've had a massive equity bull market with tech stocks leading the past, let's say, since 2010, 2011. Um, where we had that massive shift where gold started absolutely plunging to the downside. Equity started really recovering from the 2009 great financial crisis, 2010. That's when they really started picking up. And it's been an amount. Look at the NASDAQ since 2009. It's been looking more bullish than 2016, 2017 in Bitcoin. So maybe not so much because that was a monumental event for crypto. But just in terms of how far the price has gone and where it's come from and the appreciation, the NASDAQ's pretty spectacular to look at since 2009. But like we said, pendulum swings one way aggressively to the upside. There's going to be a reaction. There's going to be a point in time where there's going to be an overvaluation because it's herd mentality. People are jumping into these companies and, for example, tech ETFs, not because of the actual fundamentals and the asset itself but it's just the idea that it's going up why can't i just invest and then it'll continue going up you know my friend did it my financial advisor is doing it everyone's making money so it's just going to continue forever is the mentality that a lot of these individuals are probably expecting to see and especially with 2020 there's so much uncertainty yet the market went up so i think this kind of cements into the permable's mind that the Fed will always be able to save us and we're never going to have a bear market again because the central banks are doing something that is special that they've never done. And, you know, we are living in a Goldilocks period uh, for economics where the stock market can't fall. The U.S. economy is so good that we're just going to continue moving up. And that's the point where it gets very dangerous because when you have so much certainty, what do you do if it starts going down, right? You hold, you hold, you hold. And at a certain point, you just say, screw it. I've had enough. I can't take it. And I sell. And if that point in time is very similar with a lot of individuals, we could have, for example, a market correction that is deeper than anything that we've seen, even the COVID crisis that we had back in the spring, or I guess February, March, April of 2020. So I don't think that is... A high probability but i think that could still be uh, something that we're going to be looking at in the future just because we've seen the equity markets have such a strong move and that was just a correction right that 2020 that was just a correction where a lot of these companies look at uber that was a february highs and we don't see it break february highs nasdaq broke it way before s p broke it and now consolidating 
right above this zone, a little bit below. But overall, we see equities bounce back extremely aggressively. And there's going to be a point in time, like we said, that major crossroad where they're either going to raise rates or keep them low. If they do raise rates, that's going to be a huge shock for these tech valuations as well as the overall equity market. So just wanted to touch on that because I know a lot of people are talking about it and uh, it's huge news. The equity markets are just absolutely booming, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be booming forever. Like we said, one extreme goes to another. So just be cautious out there. Yeah, I feel like that's a great way to finish off episode 12. Um, buyer beware if you are going to get involved with tech stocks. I think we've made our stance on them pretty clear and our overall plan even more clear. You know, stay in gold, silver, crypto, dollar cost average into large cap crypto, storm on your ledger, of course. And uh, try and do your best to keep your head above water in 2020. Times are tough. It's emotionally demanding, it's physically demanding, uh, but we live in a time of uh, unprecedented opportunity. You just have to be able to find it, look through, look through and look past all of the BS news and really develop your own market perception and your own plan on how you can capitalize on this opportunity because there is a transfer of wealth happening in the background. You just have to be able to find it. Yeah, couldn't have said it better, for sure. I just want to finish off this podcast just by uh, informing people. I'm sure most of you are well aware of the kind of like YouTube live scams that people put up. They just basically record or find a video of a person who is well-respected. For example, we see, uh, I don't even know how to, uh, Chamath. I don't know how to say his last name exactly. It's a very, uh, it's very difficult, but... Uh, he is a well-known BTC investor, an early adopter in these tech companies like Facebook, Google, Slack, and uh, a really well-known investor kind of globally. And they'll just get the recording, post it up on YouTube and say, hey, if you send us X amount of Bitcoin, we'll send you double back. Uh, there are people like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, who are recorded and then posted and then hackers and scammers try to, not really hackers, mainly scammers, who just try to say, hey, send us amount of Bitcoin when Sunday double back. So just wanted to end off the video saying, these are scams, they're never gonna actually give you back your Bitcoin. Uh, I had one friend actually fall for one of these. So I just wanted to reiterate that this is not gonna actually give you any sort of Bitcoin back. These are scams and uh, you should definitely not put any money towards these makes sense to, like I, like uh, Nathan said, if you are not super active in the markets, just dollar cost average, use a reputable exchange like Binance, or if you're in um, Canada, we use ShapePay, which is a really good platform. If you're looking for derivatives, Bybit, there's so many options out there that are legitimate that you can actually use to trade, invest, and make money in the markets. So you don't have to look for these get rich quick schemes that never work. So uh, just wanted to end off the podcast with that note. Thank you very much for watching. Really, We really appreciate it. Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend and hopefully you're having a good start to the trading week. So thank you very much for watching again. Until next time, have a good one traders.